welcome to the Cork Church Podcast. We are so glad that you are joining us today. We hope this message inspires you, builds your faith, and encourages you in the things of the Lord. Enjoy the message. Amen. Well, bless the Lord. Good to see you all today. We were away for four weeks, myself and Catherine. We are so delighted to be back. Uh, back with our families, our grandchildren, with the body of Christ here. But I do bring you the warmest of greetings from many of the, from all the churches that are supporting us here in Cork for many years, and the pastors of those churches. We've had contact. We were preaching in many churches um, across the United States. And again, these are not distant uh, relatives. These are brethren in the Lord that have stood with us now for 20 Five twenty-six years of Cork Church supporting us not just financially but in prayer and ministry, and they they have taken us to their hearts in prayer. And we, I bring you salutations from them. So many people uh, that you have not that you don't even know about lift up this church today and are praying for the testimony of God in Ireland that we would see a tremendous harvest. It was an honour to be able to go and minister there and uh, build up the body there as well. They are going through difficult times. It's, it's a universal problem in the church today, a universal attack, I believe, of the enemy against much of the bride of Christ today. Many Christians are becoming discouraged in the Lord, and uh, they're looking too much at the storms. They're not looking at Christ, and they're beginning to stumble, and they're beginning to sink. And I want to, I want to encourage you this morning, get your eyes on the Lord. Keep your eyes upon the Lord, amen. And don't look left or right, regardless of what happens to you. It's not worth looking at it. It's not worth your attention, amen. Only he deserves your attention this morning. And uh, we want to bless him for his kindness and his mercy to us. For those of you joining online as well, we give you a very warm greeting. Praise the Lord. There's some new faces here this morning. Um, I haven't got the chance to say hello to you, but uh, wave to me if this is your first time in Cork Church this morning. If this is the first time, I see you back there. Bless you. Come on, do stand. I need to see you. Come on, just stand where you are so we can just greet you this morning. God bless you this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, bless the Lord. God bless you. God bless you. You're very, very welcome. Thank you for joining us. And uh, you know that the presence of the Lord is with us. And we're delighted to have you here and that you'd find a spiritual home and, and be invested and get involved in the life of the church. Praise God. If you have a Bible, I hope you have a Bible. If not, if you have a device that you can watch only your Bible on, amen. Can you ask the ushers if anybody's um, uh, surfing the internet to make sure they catch you by the scruff of the neck and throw you out? No, they're not going to do that, but we're here to worship the Lord. Amen. We're here to study the Bible. So if you're on a device, please just stay on the Bible and stay focused for the next number of minutes on what the Lord would have for us. It's important. This is the Lord's Day. And uh, this morning we are gathering, not just here at Court Church, but we are gathering in the Spirit with hundreds of millions of believers. Isn't that a phenomenal thought? You know? uh, slightly different time zones. Uh, I just love the thoughts. You know, you know, I get these quirky moments when I'm standing down worshipping them. I'm thinking, because I've been to Kenya, I met a lovely Kenyan girl this morning here, and I've been out in the middle of the Maasai Mara, and I see the silhouettes of these people at a long distance on their way to church singing as they go to church. I can hear these little small villages singing the worship of God in their little church buildings. And that's happening everywhere, folks, all over this world today. We join with a chorus of people that are worshiping for the Lamb of God today. What a, what a wonderful thing that the, most, the, greatest of, the greatest of your times and my times are ahead of us when we get to meet all these saints one day. 
in the heaven of God, amen, to enjoy him and one another forever. Praise his wonderful name. So we're going to read from John 6, uh, reading from verse 49. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, but they, are di- but they died. Anyone who eats the bread from heaven, however, will never die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And this bread which I offer to you for the welfare so the world may live is my flesh. Then the people began arguing with each other about what this meant. How can this man give us his flesh to eat, they asked. So Jesus again said, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise that person at the last day. For my flesh is true blood and is true food, and my blood is true drink. Anyone who eats the flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. I live because of the living Father who sent me. In the same way, anyone who feeds on me will live because of me. I am the true bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will not die as your ancestors did, even though they ate the manna, but they will live forever. And he said these things what he taught in the, uh, in the synagogue at Capernaum. Verse 60, many of his disciples said, how can, this is very hard to understand. How can anyone accept it? And Jesus was aware that his disciples were complaining, so he said to them, does this offend you? Then what would you think? If you see the Son of Man ascend again to heaven, the Spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. And the very words I've spoken to you are spirit and life. For some of you do not believe me. For Jesus knew from the beginning which ones did not believe in him and grew to betray him. Then he said, this is why I said that people can't come to me unless the Father gives them to me. At this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. Then Jesus turned to the twelve and asked, Are you going to leave? And Simon said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and we know that you are the Holy One of God. Praise the name of the Lord. Well, this is an interesting chapter and an interesting time in the life of Christ. In John's Gospel, of course, it's all about the signs of Christ, the revelation of the divinity of Christ. The Gospels are all written with different emphasis by the different writers. John is one that brings out more a deeper element of who Christ is, particularly to a Jewish mind. The Jewish mind under this, up to this point, its understanding of God in its revelation was true but incomplete. They understood from the Shema of Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord of God, the Lord, he is one. This is the famous arch, uh, foundational verse of Judaism. Shema, O Israel, Adonai, Elohinu, Adonai, Echad. And so this is what Judaism, the oneness of God. There is only one God, and God is one. And of course, John begins to bring out what this oneness means. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Brings out the plurality of the Godhead, and he begins to display the mighty Christ in his writings, and his testifying of who Christ is. And so, you know, Jesus is revealing his glory in chapter 2 of John's Gospel at the wedding of Cana, where he turned the water into wine. 
And then Nicodemus in chapter 3, we always quote, unless a man be born again, Nicodemus came at night because he was curious and he didn't want to be associated with Jesus, but yet he was drawn to the message and to the miraculous and the power that rested upon him. But he came at night time to Jesus and Jesus told him that you need to be born again. That message is still the same, by the way, you do need to be born again. And Nicodemus came to him. Chapter 4, then he meets a Samaritan woman, an outcast the Samaritans were the low life of, in the eyes of the Jew because they were, they were half-breeds in the sense of religious. They had half-paganism, a mixture of paganism and a mixture of Judaism, and that really freaked out the Jews, and they had nothing to do with the Samaritans. But Jesus had everything to do with Samaritans. Amen. Jesus loved people no matter who they were. It didn't matter what background they came from, what their education was, their economic social conditions, the color of their skin meant nothing. The Son of Man came to seek and to save. Hallelujah that which was lost. That's the gospel, amen. And he meets a woman. Well, that's an outcast. And we know that great, great story there that she comes to a living faith, an immoral woman, a broken woman, a woman that had been abused, a woman probably that went on to abuse. But it makes no odds because whoever the sun sets free, you are free indeed. And she became one of the first evangelists of our New Testament where she goes into her own city and talks about the living Christ and Christ moved in a powerful way in that Samaritan city. And that's in chapter 4. And then same in chapter 4 again, you have a nobleman. This is a man of, you know, nobleman means people of money and influence, comes to Jesus because of his son. And Jesus heals him at a distance. It's phenomenal how Christ was revealing himself through these signs and through these wonders. In chapter 5, we see a man who's infirm for 38 years at a pool called Bethesda. And he's there, and you know, mystically this water was disturbed once a year by an angel, and anyone who got in first was healed. And he was there 38 years, and Jesus comes and touches him and heals him. The most powerful and compassionate touch of our Savior. And now we're here in John chapter 6. And it's a long chapter, I think 60 verses or so in John chapter 6, or nearly 70 verses. But the start of the chapter, Jesus is at the side of the Galilee, and he's teaching 5,000 people come to that very spot in the Galilee, the edge of the Galilee Lake or the Sea of Galilee. I, I, I was actually at that very spot myself where they had claimed Jesus spoke those wonderful words to these people. And he performed an incredible miracle where 5,000 were fed with just a few loaves and fishes. And so he begins to show his divinity and he begins to move with compassion among the masses of people. But then he gets on a boat and he tells his disciples to get on a boat, go to the other side, and I'll meet you there. And we know what happens in that journey. They go, there's a storm, and uh, you know, Jesus comes walking on the water, it calms the storm, and then they miraculously end up in Capernaum, where we took our reading from right here. And it said that the next day a flotilla, a huge amount of ships and boats and small little craft, came from one side of the Galilee to follow Jesus to the Capernaum. Now, the motivation of the heart is everything to God, okay? I just want to tell you, people follow Jesus for all sorts of reasons. You know, religion, the religious Jesus. I mean, I remember there was a time when people were seeing moving statues down Ballin Hospital, and, you know, they were just move every everybody that had an argument moved down there just to see the spectacle. It, you know, one would ask oneself a question, which, number one, I don't believe they did move, and if they did move, it was demonic to the core, but that's not the issue here. The issue is always about the heart, okay? And so Jesus is always interested in the motivation of your heart. 
Always. It always comes down to the core of the issue with God. And so Jesus begins to say, you know, these crowd, this group of people, they, this is all in chapter 6, by the way. He said, they're here not because they saw the signs, but because they ate the bread. It's, it's kind of a sad thing, isn't it, really, that, that we want the manifestations, but we don't want the man. You know, we, we want to see, you know, the next great sort of feat of spiritual activity or whatever it may be, the next, the next, the next sort of uh, you know, entertaining aspect of Jesus' ministry, maybe be blessed by it in some way. But it wasn't really about him. And he said, you're here because you ate the bread, not because you saw the sign. I want to tell you what happened then is happening today. It has happened in every generation. Many just follow for the next sign, for the next ego, for the next you know, emotional um, effect upon their lives. And Christianity is much more, that, much more than your emotion, friends. It's much more than about the clothing or about the food in your table. It's much greater than that. Christianity is about a change of your heart. It's about an inward core where something so remarkable happens that it is undeniable that even when things are taken from you, it still abides. Amen. And that's what Christ has come. He says, I've come to give you life. Because in the natural world, all these things will go awry anyhow. You will get old. Your clothes will get old. You'll get hungry again. The weather will change. Your tan will fade if you've been like me in the sun for a while. All these things will fade. The Bible says the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord abides forever. And so Christ is trying to bring them to a place where they have an impact with him that is completely true and will stand against every attack of the enemy and every sea. And so it's all about the heart. And it's beginning to expose the very, very rationale of people. Why they come to him in the first place. And you know, he's doing an incredible thing. There's wonderful things happening here. He begins to teach them many things. But then they love him. So the people are augmenting. People are following him now. He's beginning to get notoriety. Thousands of people are after Jesus. They're, they're swarming his ministry. They're following him in boats. He's the new buzz in Israel. Even in Jerusalem, the epicenter, they're hearing about him. And priests are coming. And, and, and Pharisees are coming to hear this man. And there's this great, great move around him. And those who have gathered to him, his disciples. At this stage, there's over 70 disciples that have gathered themselves to Jesus. I want to tell you, you can be a disciple of Jesus, but there may be something wrong with your heart. And he loves you so much, he'll always go after the heart. He doesn't want to leave you on a, fo a false foundation. He, doesn't, he wants to always get to the issue. He doesn't want to leave any gangrene there. Amen? He doesn't want to leave a little bit of infection. He's always there to establish his righteousness in your life. So that when the storms happen, not if they happen, you stand. You stand regardless of what the enemy throws against you. And then he begins to say these things. I'm the bread of life. You know, and, and the Jews are getting annoyed. But I'm, you know, your father's at man in the wilderness and they're dead. But I'm the bread that came down from heaven. And, and they're, they're getting, who's he? What do you mean he came down from heaven? So we know his mother Mary and his father Joseph are not his brothers and his sisters here. This is all in the previous few verses before we read this morning. Read it, it's a great chapter. But this is what they're saying. This man is now beginning to say things that they're not quite happy about. I want to tell you, Jesus is well able to say things that make us uncomfortable. He's well able to say things that, but the issue is, would you allow him to say things to you that are uncomfortable? That's the issue. 
His grand lord, would you say something to make someone else uncomfortable about the way they're living? Or the way they're not living? Or their attitudes? Or their lack of attitude? Or whatever it may be. But are we ready to let God touch our, our life to speak into our hearts? And that's the, always the question. I'm a Christian now 40 years, friends. And I, more than 40 years, I want to tell you. And I'm at that place where there is absolutely no areas, God, that you can't go now. I want you to go because I, I have, I, the greater part of my life is behind me. And I certainly don't want to make a mess of the rest of it. And I want you to expose, Lord, that which is not you. And that which is not glorifying to your name. And deal with it in my life. And that should be the honest cry of every Christian. Amen. That's not an easy prayer because sometimes we like to cover our motivation of heart. And Jesus begins to say things. Now, up to this point, you know, he's, he's performing all these great miracles right in front of their eyes. But then he begins to say things that begin to ratchet things up a little bit. He starts to get a little bit close to the bone. So they can't quite understand. They're debating, I don't know, what do you mean he came down from heaven? And then he starts to say things that, that begin to offend them. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood. No, that was horrific to the Jew, of course. I mean, when I grew up Catholic, of course, that's the doctrine of transubstantiation. This is where they get their doctrine from. That somehow the priest has the mystical power to do what is known in the Latin as the hocus pocus. So he, it, that's the Latin structure of the hocus pocus. And he, would, he would convert the bread into the actual physical body of Jesus. After doing the hocus pocus, he would turn around, the congregation would bow down, and that is now the physical body of Jesus Christ. This is where they get this teaching from. But I want to tell you, that would not be at all even close to biblical. The Bible never asks us to be cannibals, first of all, amen. The Bible would never tell you, go against the scripture of eating and drinking blood, all the Levitical and Deuteronomical laws. No, friends, all that notion was, came from a medieval understanding of what was taking place there. And Jesus was lowering to something far deeper. He was lowering to the motivation of heart. It's not that all of a sudden, you know, we can physically eat Jesus into us. How convenient would that be? Oh, it takes no faith at all. Just get him to Pastor Nick or the priest. Shove a bit of this into him and then that will make him a Christian. Wouldn't that be wonderful, wouldn't it, if, if that would be so? But that's not the way it works, friends. There is a cooperation between you and God. Amen? There is a, an appealing of the Spirit to the free agency that God has given to you. And there must be an acquiescing with you with God, amen, to see traction and development in your spiritual growth. Thank God for that, because he doesn't overwhelm you. He doesn't love bomb you. He doesn't shanghai you with his love, friends. No, he appeals to you. But Jesus begins to say things, unless you eat my body, drink my blood. And I remember, this was a huge thing, of course. I got to speak to a man in Daytona when we were stationed out of there. And uh, he didn't know I was a preacher. We were just chatting at, at a restaurant. And he, he's a retired chaplain, now a, a deacon in the Catholic Church. And he was doing some homilies and he could administrate the Mass. And so we actually ended up talking about this passage of Scripture. And, and I looked at him and said, so you really believe that Jesus is talking about physically eating his eating his physical flesh and drinking his physical blood? I said, you know what? Jesus said, I am divine. There's not leaves growing out of his head. He said, I'm the door. There's not a handle on his belly button. He said, no, no. I said, why is it that you take them as allegorical and this is literal, you know? Which he looked at me with those sort of puppy dog eyes as to say, well, that's what I was told. You know, when I said you were taught wrong. Because Jesus said, marvel not that I say unto you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no part in him. For the words I speak are spirit and they are life. 
spirit, like Jesus is saying something here though. He's actually saying something and it's, I don't think it's lost upon the hearer. They become offended. Jesus said, I've come not to bring peace, but a sword. And the word of God is not sword, friends. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It divides even into the bone and into the marrow. The word of God will reveal your true character. It will reveal the motives of your heart. Can you imagine how Christ must have felt? You see me work wonders, walk on water, heal the sick, calm the storm. You've heard me teach. I fed thousands of you. And said so many of his disciples walked with him no longer. They were offended. Now I believe that they are the disciples from Luke 17. They were the disciples when Jesus sent 70 out two by two. And they came back to him in Luke 17 and they said, Even the demons are subject to us. Oh, because of your name, of course it is. And Jesus said something very telling to those disciples. And a lot of good commentators agree with this interpretation. He said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning. And what he was saying to them, the same pride that I saw in Satan that caused him to fall like lightning, I see in you. And what Christ was beginning to establish is that it's not about your ministry. It's not about your gifting. It's not about what you give to God. It's about Him. It's about His body. It's about His blood. It's about His cross. And it became offended. Because surely be Jesus, we wouldn't have got this far had I not got into the Galilee and tracked at every house. Knocked on every door. I'm sure young John was there saying, no teenagers would have turned up. John was the teenager, the youngest. I went to all my buddies, Jesus. I told them all that you were going to be teaching at the Galilee. You would have had nobody had I not gone out. No, John, it's not about you. It's not about your ministry. It's not about your talent. It's not about your ability to, to promote me to anybody. It's all about me. It's all my body, all my blood. And something began to rise up in them because they went out and they healed and they cast out demons and they preached and proclaimed and Jesus stripped them back. And he said, hold on, it's not your word, it's my word. It's not your message, it's my message. And there's something very stripping even as a minister. People say, oh, that was a good word, Pastor Nick. I have to catch myself on. If it's a good word, then it certainly isn't Pastor Nick, amen. It has to be his word. It's the only word in town, friends. When God begins to speak to you, he speaks to me. It's not my ministry, it's his ministry. They became offended. Oh, they love, we love when Jesus says certain things, you know. We love, you know, when he says, blessed are the poor. We love, that's a great, and there are great scriptures. We're very happy with things. Blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And they're hearing all these teachings at the Galilee. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. And blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I love this one. I've told a story before, but I love it anyhow. It's a true story. Going back to the Soviet era when the Iron Curtain was still standing. That huge wall that divided east from west. And the, the communists were on a mission to de-Christianize the entire east. And many pastors and leaders were forced to be taken and put into Siberia. Their children were taken from them and put into state-run schools and orphanages just to, to communize them and make them into atheists. 
And the story goes about two young sons of a pastor that were taken forcibly put into the school. It's a true story. And the big, big uh, Russian teacher stood up one day in the school and began to teach them the worldview of communism. And he said, there is no God. And the little boy is sitting there kind of looking with wide eyes. There is no God. He said, our astronauts have gone into space on Sputnik. And we've looked everywhere. And we can't find God. There is no God. To which the little boy slipped up his hand with a question. And the the big teacher looks down and says, yes, what is your question? He said, can I ask you, did they have pure hearts? He said, what do you mean, did they have a pure heart? He said, because Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Hallelujah. Amen. So I want to tell you, keep teaching your children in the way they should go. And even if the communists come, the Bible says they'll not depart from it. Amen. Because you've built upon the rock. And so Jesus teaches these incredible truths. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they are the sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And these incredible things coming out of the Lord Jesus Christ, preaching and teaching and sharing. But he says something all of a sudden. He says something that they don't quite agree with. I don't know about you, but if you live long enough as a Christian, you're going to eventually run into a conflict with Christ. Because he's going to say something that you don't quite agree with. Amen. And you don't quite like it. And all of a sudden, he begins to unmask the reality around him that there's something growing in his disciples at this early stage of life to think that somehow we have a contribution to make here. Amen. That somehow that we have some boast in this endeavor. That somehow we bring something to the table. And there's this demasking. There's this bringing down of human endeavor. And he said, you know what? It's not about you, it's about me. It's about my body, it's about my blood. And they became offended. Oh my gosh, friends. They became offended. How easily offended we are. The word offend means to give occasion for ungodly conduct. The word offend here means to cause to turn away. It means enticed to sin, to trip up. All this flooded into their heart. This offense came into them where they're ready to have ungodly conduct. Conduct unbecoming a Christian. Talk unbecoming a Christian. Cause to turn away. They're ready to get so offended and insulted. They're ready to turn away. They're very happy up to now. Oh, we love the love aspect of this. We love, oh, blessed is this and blessed is that. We love, oh, and you healed this little one. And oh, you walked in water here. And oh, you fed us here. How wonderful. But when he begins to start to speak to the very heart, where our prides are seated in that place, and he says, now you must listen to me. All of this gospel is about my work, not about your work. They became offended. Here, Jesus says something that they don't understand, or maybe they did. I believe they did understand it. They struggle to eat my body, drink my blood. Why wouldn't they? No Jew would ever accept that you're physically eating the body. But that's not what he was saying. When they begin to distill down, he's saying, all of this is my work. This is my work in your life. This is my work in your world. It's nothing of you, it's of me. And a sad separation happened here, friends. He didn't send them away. 
they separated from him. He said in verse 37 of chapter 6, He that cometh unto me, I will in no wise cast you out. They separated even though they received much kindness from him. Their sick were healed, their miseries alleviated, their hungers were sedated. They're very happy until something is said, now we're not quite happy anymore. My ways are not your ways, the Bible says. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so my ways are above your ways. And my thoughts above your thoughts, says the Lord. For heaven's sake, whatever this means to the listener this morning, humble yourself in the eyes of God. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Censor that tongue. Deal with your heart before it does something very betraying in you. Most of the people here in John 6, they followed from the Galilee. Others followed from the, from the miraculous. All of them felt that they owned the situation on some level, but Jesus begins to tear it back, bring it back. They became offended. And I, I looked at this understanding of offense. I think it's much more wide speaking than what we realize. Of course, Jesus is telling them, it's all about me. And how many times have people been offended in the church? They didn't recognize my talent. You have no talent. It's his talent. He gave it to you. Amen. All good things come down from God. They come down from the Father of the light in whom there's no shadow or turn in him. Oh, they didn't recognize my ministry. You don't have a ministry. It's his ministry. It's his body. It's his blood. Oh, they didn't recognize all the hard labor that I've done. The first in and the last to leave. It's all about his labor. Going to the cross. Laying down his life. They become offended. How many people have I met have become offended in the life of the church? And the manifestation is all the same. They begin to move from this road to the next row to the next row. Eventually they're sitting in the back rows. No offense to you this morning at the back rows this morning. But you understand there is an issue of the heart. When you become offended, you begin to withdraw. And you know it's much wider than being offended with Cork Church, Pastor Nick or Pastor Steve or anybody for that matter. It's much bigger than that. Because the word of God comes to you in so many ways just to deal with your heart. When you had a fallout with a brother and sister and said, they said this to me. And maybe they were completely offside. Jesus said you're to forgive them. And you won't forgive them. So who do you have the controversy with? Not with the brother or sister. Your controversy is with him. That's where the controversy lies. Oh, I'm offended because so-and-so said this to me. Or so-and-so treated me this way. Oh, no, 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 no. Jesus said, no, the offense is with me. Because I told you to forgive them. I actually told you to forgive them seven times, 70, seven, seven, 490 times. I'm sure he wasn't trying to get a calculus in there. I'm sure he was trying to tell us something. And when Christ says that to you, that you have no right to hold on to offenses about other people. Your offense doesn't become with the other person. Your offense is with him. And think about it this morning and watch it your own life. Because when you become offended with another person, be it Christian or non-Christian, in the house or outside of the house, sir, and you don't deal with the offense, let me tell you, the manifestation is always the same. They left him. They became offended because his Holy Spirit will continue to come and begin to continue to speak in your ear. You must love. You must forgive. 
You must cover that with love. You must embrace again. You must talk. You must see. You must behold rather than walking with an offense in your heart because you walk with offense. You're going to move to the third, fourth, fifth row and then you're going to pollute another church with your offense and eventually when you don't get it, you walk away from the Lord. It will lead you away. An offended spirit will lead you not just away from your family members, not just away from your spouse, not just away from your brothers and sisters in the Lord. You will depart from Him. How sad it must have been for Christ. How sad it must have been. Offended by Him. And yet they had nothing but kindness from Him. And you and I are the same, friends. We have been received nothing but kindness from Him. Mercy upon mercy. Kindness upon kindness. Love after love, friends. And yet He says something to us. Oh, I don't know if I quite agree with that. Be very careful. If there's an argument between you and God, learn learn how to lose well. Amen? Learn how to lose well. Learn how to humble yourself and bow. Say, God, I'm hurt. That's the truth. I can't deny I'm hurt, but I'm not walking away. And I won't refuse to do what you've asked me to do. Amen. And by your grace, by your mercy, I'll embrace again and I'll love again. Hallelujah. And that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then he, you can imagine... How he must have felt when he saw them walk away from him. Talk about the highs of ministry. Only a day earlier, he's fed 5,000 miraculously. He walked in water, calm storms. Everyone sees this incredible, powerful rabbi among them. And then they're offended. The Apostle Paul in Philippians 3.18 says, For many walk of whom I have told you often, and now I tell you even weeping. That they are enemies of the cross of Jesus Christ. You know, unresolved offenses, that's where it leads you. It leads you to depart, it leads you to walk away, it leads you to become an enemy. I've seen people become offended with the people of God and to the point of becoming borderline atheists, if not atheists, or to the point where all they do is rail for years in the wilderness out there like Uzziah dwelling in an isolated house, always pointing the finger, never able to forgive, never able to embrace. And yet Christ is saying, you must forgive, you must embrace, you must apologize. What? Me apologize? They're the ones. You must apologize. Because your heart's wrong. You need to get it right. You can't have that dictate to you any longer because it's bringing you down into Hades, tearing you down into the grave. But I can only imagine the voice of Christ when he turns to to Peter and the twelve. I can imagine the the, the, the sadness in his eyes when he looks at them and he says, do you too want to leave? He looks at Peter and I'm sure Peter was somewhere offended. I'm sure Peter felt a little bit, well, you know, you didn't really recognize me now, Jesus, did you? I'm, the, I'm your evangelist. I'm the one nobody would have come to the Galilee unless, unless I was there. And I can imagine the time they saying, Jesus, you know, everywhere we stayed, they're all my connections. <laughs> you got no money, Jesus. They're all my connections. We stayed in this house, this house, this house. They're all buddies of mine. You wouldn't even got this far without me. 
I can imagine Matthew saying, well, that's fine, Jesus, but who's bankrolling the whole thing? You know? Where would your ministry be if I pulled the money? Oh, if many people pulled the money. We'll see how far Cork Church gets now. Pull our tithe, pull our offering. I want to tell you, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of God has been forcefully advancing. And forceful men lay hold of it. Amen. Neither your money, my money, your attitude or my attitude will stop the growth of the church of Jesus Christ. It's unstoppable, friends. He's on a mission. Hallelujah. And I can only imagine how Peter had to deal with his heart very quickly when he sees such a, a, a bombshell being dropped and Jesus is stripping them all back and bringing them back to a place of humility. I think John is ready to say something. I can imagine they're all thinking that somehow we've been the reason why you're here, Jesus. Didn't we not help package you? Lord, you know, Pastor Nick, there'd be nobody in this church if I wasn't greeting every Sunday. There'd be nobody using your toilets if I wasn't cleaning them. But I, I love the fact that Peter censored his attitude. And Jesus looks at him with that look, a kindness, pleading eyes of Christ. Do you too want to leave? And Peter says, Lord, we have no, known and come to believe that you are the son of the living God. Are you offended this morning when the word of God begins to challenge your intellect when it says that he created the world in six days? Does that offend your intellect? Censor your intellect. Are you offended when the word of God says that no fornicator will enter the kingdom of heaven? Let me tell you what a fornicator is. A fornicator is someone who has sex outside of marriage and marriage is between a man and a woman. Does that affect your social justice? If it does, you're going to move second, third, fourth row and you're gone. Before you know what you felt towards Christ, you're now in anger and you'll be the one trying to crucify him. That's the way the heart goes, friends. It's a sword. The word of God is a sword. Bone and marrow. Does it offend you? Are you offended when the Bible speaks of itself as being the word of God, spoken by God, written down by godly men? The infallible word of God. Are you offended when Christ says, I am the only way, the truth, and the life? No one comes to the Father except through me. Oh, there's other ways. No, not that. Are you offended? Are you offended, friends, this morning? When the Word of God begins to challenge some of your intellectual, your neo-intellectual ideas. I want to tell you, deal with it before the Lord. Humble yourself. Because there's something happens when you humble yourself. There's a grace comes into your life that helps you to overcome that area of intellectual impossibility. There's, an, there's something from God comes into the humble man and the humble woman that exalts them to a spiritual understanding that they could never earn through the natural intellect. There's a journey that God brings you as you begin to say, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and in time he will lift you up. That lifting up, friends, is to a place of revelation. Young men and women this morning, listen to me. With this world sweeping across and talking about all its trans arguments, let me tell you, are you offended when the Bible says he created them male and female? 
And as you begin to say, oh God, sometimes with all the arguments it sounds offensive, but I'm putting my pitch in with you this morning. I'm taking what you're saying as true. I want to tell you, there is a revelation that will come to your life. There's something that will come in upon you and will so touch you and so convince you as you begin to trust the Lord and what he says to you. Amen. Amen. He said that to John the Baptist, blessed is the man who's not offended by me. The most blessed people in this world are the men and women that can humble themselves under the words of Jesus Christ. The happiest people on earth. The word blessed means happy. Happy are you. Happy are you. Happy are you. Don't be offended, friends. Don't live in offense. If you're offended with me, I'm very sorry. I'm genuinely sorry. If I've hurt anyone, I'm genuine. I'm sure I've hurt dozens of people. There'll be a whole line of people here. But please don't be stumbled by that offense. I would ask you to do what Jesus asked you to do. To love me and I will do the same to you. Amen. Amen. To legitimize me the way I, would, I am called to legitimize you. To see in you the eyes of Christ as you should see in me. With all the frailty, with all the weakness. But it's all of his work. It's all of him. It's his body and his blood. You and I wouldn't even be here this morning had he not shed his body and his blood on that cross on the tree. You and I wouldn't even be aware of the sort of things that we're aware of had the light of his gospel not come in. The power of his Holy Spirit sealed us. And so I would say to you this morning, don't let your offenses stay in your heart. Because it will take you away and make you an enemy of the cross. And in your short life, you will end in bitterness and in defeat and in dismay and in horror. But Jesus said this, I've come that you should have life and have it abundantly. Oh, just to receive from the Lord this morning that, Lord, I will not be offended with you. Because if I'm not going to be offended with him, Jesus, then you cannot be offended with others because he doesn't allow you to be. Amen. So the offense is much wider than just Jesus now. Every man, woman, boy and girl in your world you and I have no reason to be offended with them. We have to love them. We have to forgive them. And we have to fellowship and walk together as one body. For where else should we go, Peter said? For you alone have the words of eternal life. I want to tell you one thing. If COVID-19 has taught us anything, that man has no answers. I said, man has no answers. They look like a pack of keystone cops running around trying to fix this world. They don't know what to do about inflation. They don't know what to do about all these bugs that are happening. They don't know how to hold societies together anymore. The glue is falling apart. But Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he is here this morning by his Holy Spirit. And if you should humble yourself with honesty before him, he will come and undergird you and he will lift you up to a place of revelation. And you will know the love that passes knowledge. Hallelujah. You will know it so deep in your heart that you will be unoffendable. Hallelujah. 
Oh, hallelujah. I, I, I must be the most easily offended man on this planet. I'm offended over every stupid thing. Amen. But I say, oh, God, I want to live a life unoffendable. Can you say amen? amen? Oh, let's stand together this morning and give the Holy Spirit just a bit of room in your life as we come to close the service out. If there's an area in your heart that you know God has been saying, you have to forgive that. You have to leave that go. You have to stop being offended. It's a real moment, and it's a pleading moment from Jesus because he looked at Peter with those sad but beautiful eyes. Will you, are you going to leave me after all I've done for you? Are you going to walk away now at this late stage after the kindness I've given to you? You have to say with Peter, Lord, where will I go? For you alone have the words of eternal life. And I'm sure there was no knees up moment for Peter. I think it was a humble moment for Peter. Because he just got a dressing down like everybody else did. But he humbled himself. And he felt the comfort of Christ upon him. Bow your head with me this morning. Right across the church, those online living in offense with other Christians, offended with God, offended with everybody. Come on. Lay it down in Jesus' name. Say, I'm, I'm choosing to love. I'm choosing to embrace. I'm choosing to forget. I'm choosing to to care rather than pull back. And God's Holy Spirit will come and touch you even now as you begin to call upon the name of the Lord. I pray even now, Father God, there's men and women here, and Lord, like me, Lord, they're convicted, Lord, in the right sense, Lord, about attitudes that have been held, oh God, wrong attitudes, wrong hearts, oh God. And Father, we just simply come, every one of us, individually and collectively, and say, oh God, where else would we go, Lord? Who else do we turn to? Father, I pray you come and forgive us, Lord, our indifference, Lord, and our, Lord, our, our lack of forgiveness, Lord. But, Lord, we embrace what you say this morning wholeheartedly. I embrace it, Lord. I embrace it again, Lord. You've shown me this many times, this scripture many times. But, Lord, I, I embrace it again this morning, Lord. It's all about you. It's your body. It's your blood. It's your cross. It's your church. It's your price that you paid. It was the stripes that were laid, laid across your back. The crown of thorns that was put on your head. The nails that pierced your hands and the sword that pierced your side. It's all of your grace. It's all of your goodness. And so Jesus, we come before you and we just say thank you for such kindness. Regardless, Lord, of our rebellion and our foolishness, Lord, and our downright immaturity, we thank you for loving us, Lord, and not abandoning us. Thank you, Lord, that in this great covenant, you are never for leaving. <laughs> thank you, Lord, you're, you're the one that never leaves. You said, I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. But they left, Lord God, and many are leaving today, Lord, because they're offended. But, Lord, we choose to stay, Lord, even if, Lord, it got close to the bone, we, we, we choose, Lord, because we know, we know that you have the words of eternal life. And everything you say is true. We just have to catch up with that and help us to catch up with that. Thank you for tuning in with us today. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Cork Church. Also, make sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you have any questions at all, you can email us info at corkchurch.com or just check out our website www.corkchurch.com. Again, thank you for tuning in and see you next time. God bless.